Hey everybody, my name is Alec, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. Now, before we get into everything, I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast, like I do every time. I always really appreciate it, and I notice that people are listening to the um, to a bunch of, to the to a bunch of the episodes more, and I just really appreciate it. So, thank you. So. It's rare on this podcast that I, at least intentionally, I will totally fess up to the fact that I am not, I'm not the encyclopedic master of my own podcast. <laughs> I've been do, I've been podcasting in some form for like years now, like I, oh, close, probably maybe not, not ten years, but more than five at least, in some capacity. So I've talked about a lot of stuff on the internet in some way, shape, or form, and I can lose track, man. I got a lot of I got a lot of crap going on in my head. I can lose track of like, have I talked about this show before? But one show I know I've talked about before is the show that we're going to be covering this week again. And the reason why I want to cover it again is because I. Well, first, let's get into the show proper. How about that? So, um, this week, we are going to be talking about, for the second time, Log Horizon. Now, if you are a anime fan, you have heard of um, Sword Art Online, and the like popular way to have heard about Sword Art Online is Sword Art Online is bad, but somehow everyone's seen it. So, I want you for a moment. If you if you haven't seen Halak Horizon, this will be a fun act- exercise. If you have seen Halak Horizon, you'll know exactly what I'm going to do. I want you for a moment, just for a moment, to sit and imagine that. If Sword Art Online was a good show deserving of praise, not just deserving of praise, but deserving of accolade, and it was interesting, it was nuanced, 
It had depth. It had character development that didn't involve sexual assault. Um, all kinds of like, just imagine, just imagine, storyline line with a good fucking show, and that, and that was where lots of people get how lots of people get to the concept of Log Horizon because Log Horizon is very much a is an isekai show about being trapped in an MMO world, and. The thing, and I probably talked, and I probably mentioned this before when I talked about it, but which at this point was probably a couple years ago. Um, but Log Horizon is really unique, even though the premise it's using isn't. And the reason why I say that is because it bases its the most powerful character, the character everyone is terrified of is not strong in the way that you expect strength. He's strong in the way that oftentimes goes underappreciated in stories like this. The, the physically strong, physically impressive characters are not Shiro, the main character. And a thing that I'm noticing all over again when I'm w watching this show is that the... <laughs> Moments at which they demonstrate the characters are strong are not moments at which they demonstrate the char the characters being heroic. At least for the it's especially for the male characters and really exclusively for the male characters. Um, and we'll get into more of the hint I just dropped there, but they demonstrate it, when you see Krusty go against the goblin army in Log Horizon, you get this, like, Yakuza gangster look out of him, like, leave none of them alive. And it... There's a... There's a tendency to forget that the only reason that what the good guys are doing is good is because they're doing it on behalf of what the show has defined as good. And there, and that tendency to forget that is aided by the fact that when you see the good guys do stuff, do awesome shit, they don't do it looking like the bad guys, so to speak. And it's like a whole built-up visual language around what people look like when they're doing bad shit. And if you want a great, if you want two great anime for what pe what it can look like when you treat your main cast as visually as just bad fucking people, um, you can look at um, my favorite one of my favorite anime of all time, Black Lagoon, and a show called Jormungand. And that show is all, and those shows especially Jormungand, actually, are all about portraying their characters as just fucking scumbags. <laughs> as just the worst people, the worst murderers you have never met. And those shows, um, Jormungand and um, Black Lagoon, 
both seep you in that visual language. So you're just like, you're swimming around in Rowanapur and you're swimming around in all these like weird back alleys, fucking secret arms deals that um, Coco Heckmachiar is doing in Jormungand. So it can lose its effect over time in a way. Like you, you always expect Revy to be an absolute asshole to people. Like, say she's going to skull-fuck somebody sideways. But what you don't expect that out of is you don't expect that out of these characters in Log Horizon. They build up as, like, great, as these, like, great and powerful, you know, players of, um, what's the, uh, of, um, of the, uh, of Elder Tale, the uh, MMO. And the name of this MMO doesn't really matter, but I like that they gave it a name and they, like, focus on the name of the MMO and they name drop it all the time. In, in a way that feels natural. Like, it feels... So much of what is missing from Sword Art Online is an understanding of how people really play video games and how and what video games really mean for people. The, this show, Log Horizon, is so aware of what a game like Pokemon means for, you know, somebody like me or somebody or somebody else who loves Pokemon. It it it's not it's not the broadest sense of the word of gamer. It's the most specific sense. And here's where I'm going to make a, a glaring admission. I, until recently, have just not watched Log Horizon Season 2. And the reason why I'm watching Log Horizon Season 2 now is because... I want to catch. I want to catch up to season three and all that stuff. And the reason why I didn't watch Log Horizon season two when it initially premiered was because it was no. It wasn't available anywhere, dubbed. And I know you're like, oh man, like what you? I know you watch subbed anime. I'm like, yeah, I do, a lot. But at least for me, watching Log Horizon dubbed allowed me to focus on the show so much more because they are because they are so good at what they're doing because they have these really in-depth conversations about specifics about the world of Elder Tale and also about specifics about the meta layer of it being a video game and I, it took me, like, ten minutes into the first episode of season two to be like, I I am not prepared for this nonsense. Like, I am not prepared to read this entire thing, to read all of this madness, and really take the show in the same way the um, dub, which is a fantastic dub of the first season, allows you to, like, sit and marinate in, like, the weird political leanings of all these people of the land royalty people in that show. And so I held off. 
And then I was introduced to the licensing nightmare that had now become Log Horizon, in that Log Horizon Season 1 is now dubbed on Funimation. Fine. Log Horizon Season 3 will be streamed on Funimation. I'm not sure if it's dubbed or subbed. But Log Horizon Season 2 is dubbed on High Dive. <laughs> and if you've ever wondered, like, why does Alex pay for all these services? It's because I pay for all the services. So if that, something like that happens to me, I just straight up switch apps and I watch what I want to watch. It's the cost of me being an anime it's the cost of being an anime fan in the way that I am. And that's a, like, clip I watch anime, so to speak. But the thing that really made me want to talk about this show is really two episodes in season two. And the two episodes in question are, um, let me tap the episode guide here are the season two are the season two episodes um more episodes are these two episodes where they're basically um they're just they're just monologuing episodes they're episodes where no real action happens and Two characters, Shiro and um, the leader of the Silver Swords, I forget his name, um, the, like, blonde elf asshole, just talk to the viewer. Talk to first the viewer in Shiro's case, and then the, the like, the guild of the Silver Swords in um, the Silver Swords guy's case. And it's just this, like amazingly ballsy move in a show that in its season two has made a bunch of amazingly ballsy moves already that shows the show is that proves the show is comp is confident and competent enough to know it can pull off just being like okay we know you're here for this big fight but we're gonna we're gonna have a gamer kid like badly waxed poetic about his fucked up life for an entire episode. <laughs> and we're going to call it a motivational speech because that's what it is. And it's going to be kind of disturbingly honest <laughs> and disturbingly fucked in a way that, like, is very specific to gamers <laughs> and to the kind of guy this dude is. And it's amazing. And it's heartfelt and it's honest and it's like has a degree of self-reflection that is almost never visit allowed to be visited on characters like his character. And they could have done a thousand things with these two ep these two episodes, by the way, which are not consecutive. But they chose to do this. I actually, I'm not sure if they're consecutive. I think they actually might be consecutive. Um, but the 
the thing about um, Log Horizon is because it's because it's because it started with one of my favorite things, which is a massive what if scenario, and then adds on what if scenarios and structural story elements constantly. You get this treatment of a concept that yes has been visited before. Yes, we are still in the middle of fucking wherever the hell Sword Online is going. I don't watch that show anymore because I have too much self-respect. Um, I, but it it's dealing with things that such a it's so much of a bigger, more um consequential level that you don't you don't If it was handled any less skillfully, it would just fall apart. And one of the massively awesome first things they do is they get rid of the if you die in the game, you die in real life thing. Because that means that for a, for a fair amount of the show, there's no real harm in dying. You don't physically die. But what you do do, and what they, and as soon as they introduce it, they introduce the kind of massive, and this is introduced like midway through the first season. They introduce this massive, like existential terror to go alongside it. Is that when you die in the, when you die in, um, Elder Tale, the game. When you die in Log Horizon's universe, you don't die. You go through the natural respawn process. But what you do do is, in order to respawn, you give up a memory. And it's this almost like spontaneous thing, like all of a sudden it shatters out of you like glass. And they show it in the, um, like midway through the second season. And, but before that, they introduce you to the character of Krusty who had died tons of times like a lot and he says like I remember I owned a cat but I don't remember its name and it's just this like unsettling moment of oh fuck there will be people who like have had the entire first half of their lives wiped from their mind and that it's this creeping, uh, it's like this creeping, like I said, existential terror that's added to the show that introduces a concept that's worse than being dead. <laughs> um, in that you can be alive but not have any memory of your life up until the point at which you are sitting. And... That adds a different feeling to the show because what that means is when you see a character get killed, like the uh, arc with a serial killer in the second season, you, you have that oh no, 
but you don't have the oh no of that character gone forever. This, this show sets it up so you will never have to worry about the absence of a character. I, I, they figure that out later with hilariously crusty again. But you don't have to worry about that character being gone from the storyline. The, the characters are the characters. They cannot die unless they are people of the land. And even then, they kind of MacGuffin their way around it. Um, and as far as I've seen, the only version of that MacGuffin ever. But what this second season of this show also did that was really fascinating is... That, so, I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure everybody here, everybody listening, has seen a show like um, Love Live. Love Live Sunshine, certainly. But Love Live... Um, Wake Up Girls, um, K-On, these, like, uh, lots of them are idol shows, lots of them are musically based, but they are, like, Moe Blob shows in which somehow men either barely exist or don't exist to the camera, to the eye, to the gaze of the camera. Yet, the shows feel like they are very much made for men on some level. And AKB48 is another fan... AKB0048 is another fantastic example. But... those sh- And those shows give you, like, a massive female cast, but they feel... They can feel hollow if done wrong. And part of the reason why they can feel hollow is because... These are women existing in a land of women. And if you've... But what Log Horizon decided to do, because Log Horizon has created this massive cast of characters with these, like, guilds that have anywhere from, in Log Horizon, the guild's case, eight people to actually nine people by the end of the um, second season, to, let's say, 800 people is they have this massive cast, of, this massive opportunity of cast of characters that can be repeating characters, even if they're only in the background. And so, before I get into this, have you ever seen? You probably haven't. Um, that movie called that came out with the guy from um, with the guy who played uh, the son in the OC in the Land of Women. If you haven't, it's this movie about this, like, young guy um, who basically goes to live with, comes to live in a situation where he's surrounded by women and his life is more or less defined by his relationship with the women in his life. I think it ends up being a romantic comedy, but it what it really ends up being is it ends up being this story in which the guy is the is just like an accessory to the story being told. He's not super in control of the whole plot, from what I remember. And what this allows um the thing to do is it allows the 
female characters in the movie to be fully fleshed out without needing to remove the male component from the story. And I don't particularly know if that movie passes the Myers-Briggs test. I would, um, I forget what the thing is called, where it's in order to pass two women, you need to have a conversation about not a male character at least once in the in the work. But I can tell you certainly that um, Log Horizon does pass that test. And does, and it has a whole arc. In fact, its whole first real arc is about all of the female characters in that show. And they basically make a whole new fucking show for the first half of the second season. Where they're just like, okay, we don't need to worry about Shiro. We'll abbreviate that later. We'll deal with that later. We're going to take this opportunity to focus on the female, on the entire female cast, even people you have never met before, just so we can tell this story. And it strikes, it struck me as I was watching it, like, this is a remarkably ballsy thing to do in a show with the kind of runtime that Log Horizon has and with the seasonal structure it has. The thing about um, long-running shonen, specifically, is its runtime is what allows it to do insanely long, complex shit. If you look at something like Naruto, if you cut the filler out of Naruto, Naruto isn't quite the same. But if you have something like um, Log Horizon... There are a couple, let's say, filler episodes. There's like there's a couple episodes that feel throwaway, like the um in the second season, the Valentine's Day episode. There's another. There's an episode like that in the um first season too. But by and large, every episode serves a purpose. Every episode moves you one step closer. Connects another story piece to a different story piece and had something to do with the overall world and understanding of the world. But the... And even in, like, the Valentine's Day episode, they make sure to put story points in there so it feels like it sits in the same timeline and you can see where it is in the timeline. It's not, like, the One Piece episodes you don't need to watch where they are, like... We, we wanted an arc about this, so we're going to tell it just apropos of nothing in the goddamn middle of the Wano arc, which they've done a bunch of times. Um, and so they do this thing that is usually reserved for these big tentpole shonen stories just with half their season because they know they can. And then in the second, in that same season, they give you two episodes that are about, like, male characters coming to terms with their own reality. And, like, the episode where Shiro died, where they go into what happened when Shiro died, is very much about him 
A, that episode works to overlap the timelines and establish the, what time stuff happens in a more concrete way, but also it it reveals his his insecurities and he, up until that point he, he is very much portrayed as like being very completely completely in control understanding everything being very confident by the show but you as the viewer see the kind of fraying at the edges constantly for this entire from basically the last episode of the first season up until then and right up until he um is basically hijacked by Demicon. <laughs> you you notice this guy who's like losing who's like losing the thread slow, slowly and in a way that he can manage it and still probably get there, but he's not he's not um there's no confidence to what he's doing. He's doing it because he knows he needs to, but it's not a confident move in the way that you see him make really specific confident moves in the first season. And there's a, um, there's a line they say at the end of every uh, at the end of every next episode preview that he that he says. And in the first season, it's always look thirty seconds ahead. And the second season, it's stand up one more time. And this brings me to the point, the kind of last point I want to make about the game aspect of Log Horizon. The game aspect is so much the way you, about the way you play a video game, the way you approach a challenge in a game where the consequences seem small. If you don't beat a boss in a video game, you die. And you gotta get to the boss again, but you can do that. And sometimes you get frustrated and you give up. You put the game in a drawer. But what if putting a game in the drawer wasn't an option? What if you had what if you had to do that thing? What if you had to beat your head against the wall until the wall cracked in half? It's doable. It's always doable. No matter, no matter what you think of it, it's always doable. You can always get better at a at any task. Not just a video game, but any task. The question is, is it are the consequences worth the effort if you fail? And in, in the case of Log Horizon, that failure is defined in a, with a low enough barrier where there are people who don't give a shit because the world has turned up, their entire lives have turned upside down and they're going to get some, and they're going to at least challenge themselves to this, to doing this. And when doubt sets in is when you get the speech from the um, Silver Sword guy and when Shiro dies, that's the first time he dies in the show. And that's the first time where he realizes, I have not met this challenge. I fucked up. I failed. And you get, his, you get a huge part of his backstory there. And 
you he stand, he does exactly what the what he says at the end of every next episode preview. He stands up one more time and ultimately through the help of his friends and of his teammates, he does it. And the moment at which you see him grow as a person from this like strategist who is constantly under control in control of absolutely everything at all times because he demands it of the world to someone who is okay with the world's chaos and with the world's unmanageability is the moment when he says to Demi when he says Demicon's name. And like all Demi Demicon's like, I've had about all I can take, you fucking asshole. You're gonna say my name right. And it occurred to him that he'd never done that. He just says the guy's name. And the guy's and the guy's like, we're good. We won't be friends, but we're good. And just goes about his business in that scenario. And this show is so much about, and has turned out to be so much about, people with huge faults. People with huge, like, personal blemishes being so being able to be so successful because they are simply because they keep standing up simply because they keep putting themselves into whatever task they have then it was it it's kind of amazing you know on on one level you can watch the show and you can like kind of especially now revel in the supreme comp competence of the characters and revel in this like and this in the ultimate power fantasy of these like characters who are for the most part Im basically immortal murder gods <laughs> just taking it to the man but that's not what the threat of the show is about or not what i think the threat of the show will ever really be about it's about what do you do at the top of the staircase? What, what what do you do when you've climbed all the way up the ladder? What does it take to be at, at the top in a way that is not so destructive and in a way that makes you not just a not just a good person up there, but a good guy and not a bad guy. And They have a nickname for Shiro in the show called, the, and they call him the villain behind glasses. And the reason why they call him that is because nobody can seem to see what his next move is. But by the point at which he dies in the second season, you realize that he's gotten so used to that that he's taking advantage of people. And that is what ultimately fucked him over. When he finally stopped telling Akatsuki, like, this is the plan. When he finally stopped filling in Naotsu at all. And, and even when he finally, and even when he stopped telling the person on the other side of the negotiating table, in this case, the, like, the Kuni character that he talks to, what he wants from that person. He just assumes that he can outsmart them and get it. But 
the way I would th think about it is if you don't tell somebody what you want out of the safe, they could take you to the wrong safe when you have the gun up against the back of their head and you're robbing the bank. If you say, take me to the safe, they could take you to the one where, like, Aunt Jemima keeps her recipe and you're fucked. Not the one with the, with the million dollars in it. And it, this show has such an understanding of the way the world works, the way society works, the way imbalances are created in the world, the way it, the characters have an awareness of their own privilege. Even in in everything that Shiro does and everything the the round table does, they consider the people of the land who are the like the characters who would have been NPC characters in in the game of Elder Tale, who are now real people with full lives, but they don't have the kind of they don't have what the what the in what they refer to as the blessing of the adventurer to be able to be reincarnated at the cathedral. If they die, they die. They also completely depend on the adventurer to keep killing monsters for them, not only to protect them, but to make gold to spend with them so the economy runs. And when in the episode in the episode um Cooney's gold, the the Cooney the Cooney clan's gold. Shiro basically does some real estate jinjutsu to make sure that no one can purchase the land. No one can purchase the whole landmass of the map they're on, which is the islands of the islands of Yamato. So he's basically protecting the right of the people of the land to continue to live on the land that they exist on in this very aware true equality moment where he's just like, we don't, we don't need to own fucking anything. We're fucking immortal assholes. But we need to make sure that no one gets the better of themselves and, like, buys an entire... buys, buys an entire city and charges rent. And it, it's this very some, it's this very what would you do if you could build and maintain government from nothing, handling each problem as it arises and putting nothing, putting no option out of your mind as a solution as long as it is the most equal and equitable solution possible. And it's also, this show, in its treatment of its female characters, and its, you know, honesty about kind of, like, toxic male bravado and all this other stuff, it has this very aware, it, it's very aware of what is, really needs to happen for people to get for people to get anywhere, for humanity to get anywhere. When Shiro started taking advantage of people's trust in him, of people's implicit trust in him, it led to his failure. And that... 
The thing that people don't understand about helping the little guy is if you're not the little guy, you are standing on top of him. And if he fails, if he falls, you fall. And it's, it takes so much for people to understand that, but this show does it so effortlessly, demonstrates that so effortlessly that it is really impressive for it, and it should be. <laughs> I if I was a if I was a you know civil if I was gonna wanted to be a civil servant, I would watch this show because it is so. It is so much about civil service and what it actually means to build and maintain a society that is equitable and fair that it's really stunning. <laughs> and yes, it's a fantasy show and just about nothing would map one-to-one, but the thinking of the show is impressive. Also, the in the... um. And I think it's called the Twenty Five Maidens arc. There's just a just a scene where they're panning over a bunch of characters, and you see a character who's clearly meant to have vitiligo, and you're just like, "What? Excuse me? Excuse you? Show? You're just gonna do this? Like we're not gonna linger? You're just gonna pass over and like part of your heart clap because you're like." That's what we should be doing. We should be putting these people in scenes and like letting them exist as normal people and it not being the so and yes, yes, they have a black character who's basically female ninja bagger vance, but you know, not everything's fucking perfect. True equality, true representation happens not when you get a movie like Black Panther. It happens when you get a movie like Mile, like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, if that makes any sense. When characters get to just be what they are and there doesn't need to be this, like, stunning explanation for it that is... that it makes them perfect, that makes them a you know, fictional martyr for a movement is when we've hit equality. It's when you've hit a mindset that says these pe- all of these people can exist in the same room together and no one is higher than another person. You know, not drug-wise, but, you know, no one, no one is considered to be greater than another. And I just, I, I, and like I said, I know I've talked about this show before, but that was before I'd seen the second season because I like watching dubs sometimes, especially for more complex shows that are more complex um, story-wise. And I was, I was just so impressed by it because this show didn't need to be if you took the first couple lines, the premise of this show, and you just made that, people would still love it. But this show 
knew that if it went the extra mile and it set up this like weird fucking puzzle and these very confident put all these very confident characters towards figuring out figuring it out they would really get somewhere and they'd really make something impressive and they have so if you like i said i don't usually do this at the end of the at the end of the um at the end of the main segment, but I'm going to tell you how you can watch this fucking show because it's complicated and life sucks. Um, the first season, subbed and dubbed, is on Funimation. The second, the second season is on High Dive. Unfortunately, it's not all in the same place. The third season is also on Funimation. As of this recording, I believe there's only one episode of the third season out. But if you're caught up, there's that for you. Um, but I really encourage you to go watch it. It's it's some of the best anime watching <laughs> you can do. Um, what whether you're into isekai shows or not, because the thing about isekai shows is that they all follow slightly different rules, and this show is like like I said, it is the concept of. Sword Art Online treated with, like, an awareness that Sword Art Online does not have. <laughs> and a... And also, they're they're not, like, trapped... You're led to believe they're not trapped... Their, phys- their, whole, their whole physical bodies are trapped in this world. Not, like, they're hooked up to, like, a brain scan thing. Um, but, on that note... I've been Alex. If you like this episode, you can subscribe in whatever in whatever app you're using to listen to me right now. New episodes come out every Thursday and Sunday. Um, Sunday episodes are more, um, what's it called? Are more metatextual. They're more about the industry or about concepts or something big like that. These episodes, the third day episodes are reserved for talking about a show or a movie. Um, But until next Sunday, I've been Alex. You've been listening to Lunchbox Radio, and I'll talk to you then.